This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, everybody, let's cut right to the chase on this Rico Bronia. It wraps up a split against the Yankees. It wraps up losing to the Yankees on Wednesday night, a lifeless 3-1 to loss at Yankee Stadium. They didn't hit. Simple as that. They did not hit. There have been many reasons why the Mets have somehow lumbered their way to 47-54. and It's mostly been starting pitching. At times, it's been the bullpen. Sometimes, it's been their defense. On this night in the Bronx, it was all about the offense. Jose Quintana was fine. Yeah, they made some defensive mistakes. You got Jeff McNeil throwing to the wrong base. But to manage one run, against Carlos Radon, who Yankee Stadium was ready to burst up and boo from the get-go, and you had him, especially in that third inning. You had Carlos Radon cooked after he walked Francisco Lindor, and it looked like something was up with his knee. And Pete Alonso hit the ball hard. He just hit it right at the left fielder, Isaiah Conner-Falefa, and that was it. It was amazing. Like, that was their offense was the third inning, and that's it. And being at the game, it was painful to watch. It was also a very dull atmosphere. You know, I've always said this about the Subway Series. The Subway Series has a better atmosphere at City Field. It just does. And I think a lot of that is there's a lot of Yankee fans, though there were a lot of Met fans at Yankee Stadium on Wednesday. So I can't even say it's about the amount of fans that are being there. But maybe it's just the way the game was played, at least in this case. Because in general, I've always felt the Subway Series has more energy at City Field and Yankee Stadium. A lot of times at Yankee Stadium, it feels like just a regular game. While at City Field, it seems to have more of that playoff or World Series environment. It had no environment in this game. And a big part of it was even the Yankees, when they scored their three runs, think about how they scored their runs. Think about how everybody scored their runs in this game. In the second inning, the Yankees are set up with the bases loaded and nobody out. Kyle Higashioka strikes out, and Oswald Peraza hits a ground ball to third that I I can't say was a double play ball because I think it was going to be very tough to turn it, but at least it's a force out. It's either Viento stepping on third for the force, it's Viento's throwing home to get the lead runner, which he really didn't have much of a chance to do, or it was quickly throwing to second base. Viento's moving like a like a snow dot a snow dial a sundial seemed to take forever in fielding that baseball and throwing it to second in which the base runner was safe. That was Anthony Volpe. So the Yankees get their first run on a ground ball to third fielder's choice. They get their second run on a bizarre play where Isaiah Conifalefa hits that little little looper to right field and Jeff McNeil makes a sliding catch. I'm sitting right behind third base. 
I could have sworn to you that Bader left early. Now, watching on TV, I'm sure they showed you replays, and I was wrong. So in one breath, I'm thinking Bader left early. Then you get a bang-bang play at the plate. Where is it possible that Bader's out at home? Buck challenges nothing. He goes out and talks to the umpire real quick. They appeal to play at third, and the third base umpire says, now we're good. He left on time. My eyes, maybe it's my bias eyes. I did have a fruity drink about an hour and a half before, and I hold my alcohol very horribly. So maybe I was a little tipsy. I don't know. It's on the table. But I could have sworn Bader left early. He didn't. That's how the Yankees got their second run. So think about it. RBI fielder's choice, sacrifice fly that was controversial. The Mets get their run on a sacrifice fly, and then the Yankees get a run on an Anthony Volpe hit in which you got guys thrown to the wrong base. That's the offense. So it's understandable, I guess, why Yankee Stadium was so dull for this game. And it really was a, it was just a blah baseball game. Blah. And this offense, which they score four and a half runs a game, which is down from what they did last year. So it's not matching what it did a year ago, but it's not the end-all problem on most nights. But it was on this night because on this night, they got nothing out of Francisco Lindor besides a couple of walks. They got nothing out of Pete Alonso other than hit the ball hard a couple of times. They got nothing out of Tommy Pham. Their three, four, five hitters went a combined 0 for 10. They got nothing. I mean, really, the best hit ball of the game was Danny Mendick's double in the third inning that set them up in having second and third nobody out. And I can't say I knew this at the time, but the third inning really was the game. And I'm sitting there next to Tiki and Sean Morash and Lugie. So it's two Yankee fans and two Met fans. And when Mendick doubles and they've got second and third nobody out, I turn to Lugie and I say, they got to tie this game. Like, what a great response to that shaky second inning where defense really cost them. Go tie this game up. And with second and third and nobody out in the top of the order coming up, you got to do it. Now, this is going to be a weird criticism, Pete. So you want to slap me across the face for it, that's fine. I don't love Mark Vientos batting second. I, I don't. I, I'm glad he's getting a chance to play, and I'm all in favor of that. And after the de- trade deadline, he should probably play more, even against righties. But you've got options like Alvarez, Tommy Pham, even McNeil Lindor 2-3. Mark Vientos has had a couple of nice moments, but really, Mark Vientos in the two-hole? I, I can't argue that. I-, I want to, but I can't. It's like you go from the kid can't play every day. We don't like his at-bats. So, you know, he's not ready yet to, hey, you're in the two-hole. makes zero sense. And I got to be honest, I don't like Alvarez that, that low either. And you're right. The batting at order doesn't really make a much difference, but I don't mind – Alvarez getting those late at bats in the in the in the order. I really do. I I you need it, McNeil, somebody like that. Someone that's you know he's not having a great season, but someone like that that could be more contact hitter. You know. Yeah, I, you know I and I know I said on the last Rico, maybe the Rico before that. I don't get nuts about order. I think it bothers me more when we're talking about the two hole though. When we're talking about leading off or one two three four. Really, I think after that, I don't get nuts about it. As nuts about it, because I do want some protection for my cleanup hitter like Pete Alonso. But situations find you. And in the third inning of this game, after Nimmo sack fly, run around second, one out, two to one game, 
Would I rather have Francisco Alvarez up than Mark Vientos? Yeah. Would I rather have Jeff McNeil up than Mark Vientos, considering McNeil, despite the bad season he's having, has actually had a really good year hitting with runners in scoring position, which is weird, but he has. So that, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. But there's no excuse because after that third inning, when, and so let me take you through what happened, at least for us in the third inning. I thought it was really interesting. So in the middle of the Lindor at bat, Tiki immediately says to us, he's hurt. He hurt his knee. Look at him favoring it. Now, I wouldn't have noticed it. Now I'm looking at it, and he was. And there was a moment, I think it was during that Lindor at bat, where he walked behind the mound, took a deep breath, and it did appear like something was going on with his knee that was aggravating him. He walks Lindor, and the first pitch to Alonzo, because now I'm thinking, you know, I think Tiki sees something here. There's something off about Radon here. But this is your moment. This is your chance to kind of take advantage of it. And I had these visions of Alonzo hitting a bomb. He's starting to wake up. He had two home runs in the previous game. You've got Radon on the ropes if there really is something wrong with his knee. And on the very first pitch, Pete hit the crap out of a baseball. It just went right at IKF, and he just missed hitting what would have been that awesome three-run home run. After that, Radon had his moments of struggling, and the Mets had their opportunity specifically when McNeil got hit straight in the back. We'll get into that in a second. A little bit more on that whole stuff. And he walks Marcana, and Alvarez, which he's prone to do sometimes, bounces into that killer double play. They get 2-1 in the fifth inning against Radon, one with an infield hit that should have been called an error. Peraza's got to make that play. Uh, there is something going on with official scoring this year. And I forget who suggested this first, but there's a conspiracy theory that official scores are more likely to give hits than errors because they want to bring batting averages up. So Major League Baseball can say, see, our rule changes have worked. The batting averages are higher. I believe that conspiracy theory. Like, I, I really do, because, bro, there's been a lot of those. I mean, this is this ground ball to second by Nimmo was it, it out, and Peraza, it's an error. I don't know what else to say. It's an error. I don't know who started it, but I was listening on the radio because I was traveling at that point in time, and Sterling called it out, too. He's like, said exactly the same thing that you said. So clearly, this has been rumbling around the baseball league. 100%. This is something, and I... I wish I could give credit to where I saw it a a few days ago. It's not my conspiracy theory, that's for sure. I'm just buying it. Like, I'm believing it. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, and 
who does it really affect? It affects the pitcher. That's the only person it affects because the hitter prefers it. They get a hit and the the position player prefers it because they don't get an error. So Oswald Peraza doesn't get an error charge to him. Brandon Nimmo gets a hit he didn't deserve. The only guy annoyed is Radon, but to Radon's credit, he got Lindor to line out right to Peraza and he struck out Pete in a big spot. And that, and after that, oh my God, turn the lights out. They get a two out hit by Mark Hanna in the sixth. That's when Boone decides to go to Michael King, who gets Alvarez out. They go one, two, three in the seventh against Wandy. They go one, two, three in the eighth against Canely. And then one, two, three against Holmes in the ninth inning. And I give Lugie credit. He said it next to me in the sixth. He said, do you think we ever get the tying run to the plate again? And my answer to him was no, because the bullpen will let this game get away. I was wrong about that. The Met bullpen actually came in and got the job done. Drew Smith and Trevor got, not that any of us are going to begin trusting them, but they did come in and at least keep the Yankees at bay. The Met offense did nothing. And it's a similar story to what's happened at times last year, but a lot of times this year. When they don't get anything out of Lindor and Alonzo, the offense goes nowhere. And truthfully, they didn't get offense from anybody. They ended up with only five hits in this game one of which was a hit that shouldn't have been a hit. So they did nothing. And so if you thought the Tuesday win was going to lead to something, just like we all thought, hey, maybe the Friday win in Boston was going to lead to something, it's basically been the same story over the last few weeks. They may win a game here or there, a couple of games here and there, but they just can't put together a sustained run. And this Yankee team, Yankee fans will tell you this, they're not that good right now. The Mets had an opportunity and they failed. So they've got seven games coming up against Washington and Kansas City, and we could all waste our time talking about, well, can they take advantage of it? What do we really think they're going to do? Because if the Mets went out and won five out of seven, that's not good enough. That's the problem. It's been the problem for a while. Treading water or gaining a little bit of ground is not enough. They need to win all seven. I know that may sound unreasonable and unrealistic, and I'm not saying it is, but that's really what they need to do. Does this loss affect what I've been saying the last couple of days, whether it's on the fan or here on the Rico, that I don't want to completely wave the white flag and trade a guy like David Robertson, which means completely giving up? No, my view does not change. Because unless I'm getting a premium prospect, I don't want to take even the 10% shot that the Mets go on some kind of run. You trade a guy like David Robertson, and that's the guy I'm really harping on because I think he's their most important player where if you trade him, you're dead. You could rationalize Tommy Pham and Mark Hanna all day. Seriously. The Met lineup could, in a lot of ways, be better, technically, if they trade those guys. So I'm not talking about them. You trade David Robertson, it's over. So, no, this loss doesn't change that view. It's just they're stuck in the mud. That's what they are. They're they're a stuck-in-the-mud baseball team. And as much as you hope they're going to put something together, they haven't done it all year. They haven't put anything together all year, which is almost remarkable that here in late July that's the case. You know, the thing that sucks, too, is that this is could be acceptable. Like what what's happening right now could be acceptable. The June killed them. Going seven and nineteen destroyed them. If they won five more games, 
five games in June, that would have put them in a spot where they'd still be on the 500, right? But at least they're in the thick of it, and it's more obtainable. They could they have a close like they're only a few games out of the of the uh, the last wild card spot. You're right. They're in a spot now that they can go mediocre the entire rest of the way until the final month of the season, and they still have a shot. You're right. They they need, and I think this is the problem. They need to have the anti June. They need to reverse what happened in that terrible month, and to do that, you need a dominant month, and. I just don't see it happening. I mean, I, I don't think any of us see it happening. Just because I'm hoping for it to happen, and I go into every game thinking, you know, hopefully this occurs, doesn't mean you think it's going to happen. Um, as far as McNeil getting drilled is concerned, I, I'm getting tired of this. I'm getting, and I, and I brought this up on the Rico after Game One. I brought it up to open the show. Tiki and I did on Wednesday as well. I'm getting sick and tired of Mets being drilled. And sick and tired of doing nothing about it. Like, do something. Do something. Francisco Alvarez is luckily okay, and that's great. Our biggest fear is that this would turn into Pete Alonso part two. But Jeff McNeil also looked pretty exasperated. Exasperated? Exasperated. Whatever. After Radon hit him in the back. He looked tired of it, too. He looked angry at it. And they didn't do a freaking thing. Not a thing. Dan Figiani writes in the email to the Rico email.com. Buck's response to why they didn't retaliate to Jeff getting hit. Quote, two wrongs don't make a right. Well, how about 137 wrongs in the last two years? And we wonder why we get walked over and bullied year after year. Pathetic. It's very tough to argue with what Dan is saying. I'm not able to be convinced that the Mets lost in Atlanta last year because they get pushed over, but the Mets have proven in their responses this year and their lack of ever doing anything when guys get hit that they are a very soft team, that they have a glass jaw. This whole season's been a glass jaw year. Their performance in Atlanta was a glass jaw series. And their responses every time they get hit to just have the manager put his hands in his pocket and look sternly towards the field is doing nothing. And two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah. What does drilling Giancarlo Stanton do? It may not accomplish anything, but after a while, you've got to try something because it happens all the time. All right. Let's get to some more of your emails. Casey writes, when's the last time the team hit lefties? 2006. Here's the main point. There's six games under 500, soon to be seven. He wrote this right as the game was ending. And yet the door is wide open for this club to make a run, but they refuse to take any ounce of momentum. If it's not bad starting pitching, it's defense. If it's not defense, it's the lack of clutch ABs. And if I have to hear about bad luck one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. I don't care if you hit the ball 674 miles per hour. A hit is a hit, an out is an out. Enough. I don't even know why I'm still upset about this team. Maybe it's the fact that they've had, maybe it's the fact that all they've had to be was not putrid, which is very true. Didn't have to be great. Didn't even have to be good. Just not terrible. My mind says sell, but sell what? Fam for a single A prospect we'll never see? No, thanks. Just play this damn thing out. Put put Danny Mendick out the pasture. And for the love of Christ, call up Mauricio. This is absurd. 
I mean, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I, if you get a marginal prospect back for a Tommy Pham or a Marcana, okay, because I think those guys being traded creates the opportunities you want for a guy like Ronnie Mauricio specifically, even for Mark Vientos. I, I think you all of a sudden maybe think differently about sticking Beatty in the outfield and Vientos at third, though Vientos at third base did not look good in this game. I mean, he did not look good. We haven't seen him play much of the outfield either, but his error on the Harrison Bader infield single was pretty significant. I mean, that basically led to the insurance run the Yankees scored. Can I just say something? And I'm, I'm a broken record, but you just nailed something that it's really pissing me off. Viento what? doesn't look very good at third base, right? Okay, that's fine. Beatty hasn't looked great at third base. Nobody looks good anywhere. Half the time. The defense has been shoddy, but continuously we're told the Alvarez situation being called up and Mauricio being called up. I mean, like, I'm tired of them making excuses of the of the reason why guys can't be can't be called up is because of the defense. Meanwhile, the guys that are on the team can't play defense either. It's it's very confusing the uh the hypocrisy they have, I'll say. Yeah, I, I think with Mauricio um, it's probably the fact that the positions he's playing, he's still learning. But you're right. I mean, Vientos isn't great at third. Vientos looks okay at first, actually. When I've seen him over there, it's not been a lot. But when he's played first base, I think he's looked decent. His third base defense is not great. I think Beatty is below average, but not awful. Um, I wonder where these guys end up position-wise. Because... Both could be options in the corner outfield right now. They don't have a left field. I mean, Mark Hanna's the left fielder, but they don't have a left fielder long-term. Kyle writes, I'm going to cut to the chase. I can't help but think this team would be a lot better off if we would just trade a key piece like David Robertson and finally wave the white flag. He knows I'm going to disagree with this, so his next wording is, hear me out. I'm going to hear him out. Maybe he's got something to say that's going to change my view. The team is playing tight, pressing, especially considering the youth who want to prove themselves. And I don't blame them. I feel as though if the team could trade a central piece like Robertson and management can finally admit we're out of it, we could at least start to be productive. Even Pete looks like he's a law atlas with the world on his shoulders. Oh, atlas. I get it. Like an atlas. Pete looks like an atlas with the world on his shoulders. I truly do think things would turn around and our guys will start playing like our guys without the backs against the wall feeling. Am I wrong? Love the pod. Um, you're wrong. You may be right, but then ultimately wrong. So what I mean by that is if the Mets sold a David Robertson, which is the piece that backbreaks the season, and guys say, oh, we're out of it, and we relax, and guys start playing better, that's great, and maybe that's the case. But here's why you'll still lose. The bullpen's going to suck. And you will lose games. You will lose multiple games that you would have won if David Robertson was closing games out in the ninth inning. I think if this team was 17 games out, I would say F it, just trade David Robertson, get a top prospect back. But I think as long as the National League flounders and that number, while big, is still eh, eh, doable, I have a tough time completely giving up. That, And maybe I'm alone on this. Maybe I'm not in the majority on this. I, I hope I'm making clear what I'm saying here. Now, here's an exception. I don't know how much value 
guys have because it's a weird trade market right now. If a team offered a legitimate top 50 prospect for David Robertson, then I'd probably say, F it, I'll do it. But I don't think you're necessarily getting that. Brian writes, Evan, I'm over the Met offense. They're so inconsistent. I think third base, second base, DH, left field, right field should all be in discussion for new players in 2024. Maybe Beatty needs to be in the minors more and he'll get better. He hasn't shown anything this year. DH with the Mets was like quarterback with the Jets until they got Aaron Rodgers. Count as a fourth outfielder and plays better as a part-time player. Marte's a walking injury. Lindor's disappeared again. Is it too much to ask for him to be hot for more than a few weeks? Yeah, I think during the offseason, there's going to be a lot of a reevaluation. Jeff McNeil is, first, and I said this a few times ago, I ain't trading him, not when his value is at its worst, but Jeff McNeil offers the value of maybe he's an everyday outfielder next year. Maybe he's a second baseman next year. So you, you definitely can reevaluate a lot of positions next year. And yeah, DH has been an issue. And, and Joe said this to me, Beningo, when we did shows together, I, I've always been one of the last voices fighting against the DH. And Joe didn't like the DH either, but at the end, he came around. And a part of why he came around to the DH uh, expanding to the National League, did I phrase everything I just said correctly? I'm anti-DH is what I was trying to say. I don't know if I expressed that well. I like the pitcher hitting. Joe came around to the DH in the NL because he thought the Mets would benefit from it. Meanwhile, the Mets DH production has been some of the worst in baseball, and they used to have good hitting pitchers. <laughs> uh, Lucas writes final email root for the brooms root for the brooms okay I never root against this team but we need to sweep either way this weekend we sweep the nationals and then we can have a fringe buy at the deadline if we get swept we can get our middle of the road prospects for Canna, Fam, and Robertson but knowing this team they'll win two out of three or three, they'll win two or even three out of four, and no one will have a clue. I do agree that's the likeliest outcome, that they, they win three out of four and they split. <laughs> I, I don't see a scenario where they're buying anything, unless that guy's under contract for next year. Then, okay, we can have that discussion. We will have a more in-depth trade deadline podcast. I think the way we'll do it is, they play Thursday against Washington, and they play Friday against Washington, so it's a four-game series. At some point late Friday night, maybe really early Saturday morning, knowing the way Pete likes to party, we will record a little bit of a recap of the first two games. We'll talk a little bit about these two games, but spend the majority of the time really getting into this trade deadline, what we would do, what we wouldn't do, who we would want to go get, if we want to get anybody, I doubt it, who we'd want to sell. So we'll go a little deeper in the deadline. So if you have any thoughts on the deadline, and I know you do, you can email us, therecob at gmail.com. We'll mix in some emails on that pod as well. Well, I'll make a proposition for you. I'm not sure how late you want to do this podcast, but I'm actually on the air Saturday morning, 2 to 6. 2 to 6? 2 to 6 in the morning. That's right. That's your new show. That's my new show. Uh, and many people have reached out and said, will Evan be joining you for a live Rico? I'm not <laughs> pressuring you. But you're more than welcome to do that. I appreciate it. 2 a.m. these days is very difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. I was going to say, can we record at like 11 p.m. or something like that? Yes. <laughs> so I will that's be, okay. I, I will be around and record. Oh, by I the way, real, real, really quickly, and I know we'll get into this with the, the, the trade um, podcast, but 
The one thing I see from this team, because we talked about how mediocre they are, is there any – like when they traded for Ioannis Cespedes, he – it was random. It wasn't what we expected. We didn't see him changing the momentum from this team the way it turned out. Is there someone like that even available? The the reason I don't feel that way is because in 2015 it was the lineup period stop. It was the lineup. They we knew they had the pitching. We knew it. And they even had the bullpen. I mean, Jairus Familia was having an incredible year. They made a few other moves like Addison Reed that kind of added to it, Tyler Clippard, guys like that. But it was a clear offensive issue. And adding a star in the middle of that lineup was so the thing they needed. So when they acquire Cespedes, it makes sense why it all clicked together. The problems with the Mets this year, while I've ranked the starting pitching number one, it's everything. This game, wrapping up the Subway Series, is another example of it. They did not lose because of their starting pitching. They lost because they couldn't score a run. Is there a bat that would change everything? No, because... Look, the only guy that would change everything is Shohei Otani because he does multiple things. Because Otani would fix, here's this real good top of the rotation arm, though his last few starts have been shaky. And here's this big time left-handed bat that solves DH. But Otani's a unicorn. Like Otani, you could say that for a lot of teams. Yeah, go get me Shohei Otani because you're acquiring two players. And obviously the Angels are not trading him. I would not trade for him because it's a potential rental in a year in which you're seven games back. So it would make no sense to trade for him. Um, that That's the only guy that would fit that. I, I don't think there is a guy out there, even if the Mets were two games out, besides Otani, put him to the side because he's, he's unique. I don't think there would be a guy out there that would fix their problems. I don't. See, I think the Yankees are more in that situation, in that, it is so clearly their offense. It's like the 2015 Mets in a lot of ways. Not saying their starting pitching is as good, but obviously they have a guy missing in Aaron Judge. But if they went out and added another big-time bat, the Yankees could conceivably go from being this bad team that Yankee fans feel like they are right now to a team that could take off. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't say that as you know a Yankee fan. I say it as I'm observing them. I'm observing that, like, they have a crazy stat about them, not to turn this into the uh, Mike Gallegos um, or Danny Tartable. I'm naming random Yankees that the podcast will be named after. Welcome to the Jesse Barfield. But the Yankees, when they score three runs or more, have, like, some absurd winning percentage. Absurd. I think that's what it was, three runs or more. Yeah. So they don't need much to win games of a little bit of offense. And that reminds me of the 15 bets. Like it was similar where it was the, the 15 Mets were so desperate for offense. Think about this, Mets fans. And this was only eight years ago that when we traded for Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe, we acted as if the gods were coming down to help us. It was Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe, but we were so excited because they looked like, because they weren't John Mayberry. Like that, that's what it was. It was like, ah, this guy's going to save us. So, no, there is not one guy that can save the Mets other than Otani, who the Angels are not trading. We appreciate you listening and downloading. Check out Petey's with uh, Sal and BT in middays, me and Tiki at 2 o'clock. Obviously, there'll be a lot of Subway Series talk, Jets and Giants and all that crap. 
But stick it right here with the Rico. We're giving you a lot of pods this week, the week of the trade deadline. We appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>